Hello, everybody, and welcome to our winter solstice question and answer live stream. Thank you all for coming. And um, you can uh, post some questions in this chat box over here on the side of the screen. But we've already received some questions for this event, so we're going to start with those first. And the first one is from uh, Laura. And she says, rounds of incarnations. What character characterizes them? How long can they take? And what may they look like? Am I understanding correctly that the first round is about liberation of the self from suffering? And then the next round is about liberating others here and then in other worlds also. Yeah, it's a long, long journey. It's a much longer story than anyone's ever told us about all this. And um, the way it starts off is we start right here and we go through these different levels of consciousness. We start at the instinctive and go all the way to the self superconscious. But during that time, the goal is the same for everybody. It's the prodigal son story. We've come out, we've entered in, into incarnation. We're getting our experiences. We're learning the what's valuable, what's true. And we are becoming more and more self-realized. So basically, as we start to wake up, we can become more and more conscious till we reach the point of self-realization. Now, theoretically, at this point, anyone's free to go on to other beyond this world of incarnation and suffering, but they never do. Nobody ever does. Because by the time you get there, it's like, you think of everybody else that you on earth, let's say, as like your your most beloved child, and they're caught in a room that's on fire, and you wouldn't leave your child in a room on fire. So these self-realized ones, when they make it there, they just turn around and come back in because they don't want to leave anybody behind. And they stay here until the whole planet becomes self-realized. And then there are further missions out into the universes after that. This is what uh, the extraterrestrials are doing. They're making journeys into the outer universe to help us, to help other people who are trying to raise their consciousness. And they do it by creating questions. We see these strange phenomena. How is that possible? How can a ship go 200,000 kilometers in the air? How can it make an immediate right-hand turn? So it's creating questions in our mind to help us open up that, first of all, we're not alone. It's ridiculous to think that we are alone because of all the planets out there. There are more suns than there are grains of sand on Earth. And around those suns, there are many, many planets. So just in our galaxy alone, they estimate there's probably something like 40 billion planets that could support life like us. And there's definitely 11 billion planets right in that sweet spot, right close to the sun like we are. Not too close, but not too far away. So for sure, there's life out there. And the, the extraterrestrials are just trying to wake us up that there's much more to life than we've imagined so far. Mm -hmm. um, until we reach that level, first, uh, we uh, start to incarnate at the instinct, uh, instinct level. Uh, that's the first cycle. And then the second cycle, uh, we try to use in thought and emotion, we try to develop our psychoanalytical body. Uh, we are starting 
to we start to live subconsciously and gradually consciously building up our psychoanalytical body steadily. This most of us are in this uh, second cycle, and in the third cycle, uh, we start to use what is called the super senses and develop these abilities. And in the fourth cycle, we uh, more and more develop these super senses and use these senses uh, super consciously. And at the end of the fourth cycle, we master four elements and we master uh, the what we call the uh, start to use attunement. And at the end of the fourth cycle, we uh, self-realize that's a personality level. And in the fifth cycle, we come back as an invisible helper and develop like that way. <laughs> so <clears throat> after we've reached this high level and become self-realized, the plan becomes self-realized, and now we're sent out as extraterrestrial intelligences to help others who are developing too, to raise their awareness, to ask the deep questions and start to really think about the nature of life. How long does that last? It lasts so long. You can't imagine how long all this lasts. And then when they're done at that phase, and they've done their work assigned to them by life itself. What happens? Do they get to go back to the Godhead? No, no, they start on another round where they go to other planets and live on those planets to help others raise their consciousness. And it's not until that's completed do they take their liberation. But even after that, they still can come back as dominions and, and special, uh, special incarnations. So the next question is about um, accumulating mind vitality. And Andrew says, had to watch it twice as your coming voice relaxed me into sleep. That's a kind way for him to say I put him to sleep by talking too much. So I'm so clear by using my, he wants to make sure he's clear, by using my I am awareness, I can use my conscious to accumulate more etheric vitality. Yes. You as a I am awareness, as a self, let's just call it the self, as a self are using the mind and how you use the mind determines your self-consciousness. And by how you use the mind, I mean creating uh, thoughts, desires, emotions, behaviors. How you use the mind determines your level of self-consciousness. So, of course, if the I am is using the mind. So there's a self. It's not just consciousness just shows up. There's a self behind it using it. And so in this case, of course, you can use, you as a self can choose to use the mind to collect more etheric vitality. But what's that mean? I mean, well, you can visualize it. You breathe it consciously. You start to become more consciously engaged in the accumulation of etheric vitality. Yes. Thank you for uh, the sweet comment. Um, Yes, answer is yes. In the practice, practice of the breathing, first we relax completely, and the next day we breathe consciously. 
and next we breathe rhythmically. The reason why we breathe consciously and rhythmically is this. In our material organ, in our material body, only the breathing is what we can control. Can you control the you know, pace of the heartbeat? No. Can we control uh, other material organ at our will? No. But just breathing, we can control, which means something. And we are breathing until now subconsciously. But when I say, okay, please breathe consciously, when I say that, everybody can start to breathe consciously, which means we can control our breathing. So once we start to control our breathing, usually in our body, Holy Spirit, and archangels are creating and maintaining our material bodies. But we can, when we control, when we try to count our breathing, when we start to breathe consciously, which means the message, okay, now we are controlling our breathing. So that's going to be the message, and that's going to be the bridge, the conversation, communication between them, higher intelligences in our body and our self-consciousness. That's why once we start to control our breathing and wish and visualize the aesthetic vitalities accumulate, it will be really so. This is a mystery, but a science of our bodies. Okay, the next one is from Eric about the composition of our personality, which was uh, the last podcast lesson. <clears throat> what would a master like Daskalo see if he were to look at a person engaged with strong a strong elemental of rage, for example? Would he see the form and color of the elemental itself on the etheric double of the individual? Would it look like a demon? Or would he be seeing the visualization that person is allowing to occur in him? Maybe the person is visualizing punching the other person in the face. What does the master see of both? Well, he sees, he sees both. He sees both things. Of course, he's, he's seeing the guy in rage when, with his own thoughts and feelings about why he's enraged, why and he's reacting to something. So they'll see all that. But the elemental itself takes on its own form. The, the person enraged doesn't really give it a form. It takes on its own form. So for example, if it's just a strong, strong anger, it could be like a lion. It takes on the shape of animals sometimes. Uh, could it be demonic? Yes, it could be demonic. If that person really hated you and wanted to destroy you, it could look demonic. They take on the nature of, the, they, the, of their own quality of it, as we'd say. So the color, the form, 
all that stuff, the power in it is all, is being given to it by us, but the elemental assumes its own form. Now, when you desire something like a, a Ferrari, you create the form for that elemental and the elemental is built on your understanding and picture of a Ferrari. But on these things like anger and jealousy, they just take their own forms and they've been created for a long time. So um, yeah, he would see both. <laughs> but uh, not uh, even before we reach to the master level, uh, even in our daily life, when we, uh, for example, when we enter in the, the, the place who had a fight before, we can sense it, right? But what are we really watching? Nothing there. But we can feel, feel it as the energy. So once we develop this kind of sense, super sense, and focus on the energy calmly, then slowly, slowly we can see the color of the energy. Start to see the color of the energy. And also, when we still more focus on the energy, we will be able to know, oh, what this comes from, oh, what happened, or as Daniel said, sometimes we can see the snakes or lions or animal type of uh, uh, energies. So, even before we reach to the master level, once we cultivate, uh, train this ability, we will be able to see it. For example, the anger, uh, we might be able to see the energy, like a charcoal is burning with a red fire, or a jealousy, we might be able to see it like a dark, dark green color with snake, something like that. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced real crippling fear, but it's described a lot of time as like this compression, this weight on your chest that's squeezing you. And it actually is, it's like a giant, the form of them for those who can see them are like a giant anaconda and they squeeze you. It's let out a breath that squeezes tighter and tighter. And it be, these things become huge things. And the more we feed into the fear, the stronger that thing gets. So they take the form, their own nature of form, these kind anyway. But not only uh, negative ones, even the positive, lightful ones also, and showing us the color, a tone, a sure. sound. So mm -hmm. not only uh, be sensitive to the towards the negative one, just open up yourself and be sensitive for all direction, especially uh, lightful directions. Mm. We have a question here from Bertold on the composition of our personality lesson we just had. Thank you for this lesson, very valuable one. Even after reading and practicing on the matter, I have a question. 
Could one know what the divine plan is for one during this incurrent incarnation? And if yes, how? Well, overall, the divine plan is the same for everybody in the big picture. And that is to learn to love, to learn to love everybody. And we are starting, it's the whole story is the prodigal son story. You go out away from God, you incarnate, you suffer, you realize, gee, I'm making mistakes. I, I wasted my mind energy. I wasted my inheritance on these foolish things. Now I'm hungry. I want to go back to where I came from. I want to go back to God. And so you start off. So we're all on that journey someplace. Now the prodigal son goes out and he just dives into matter, into material living with drinking and gambling and loose women and all this stuff. And then the famine comes and he loses his money. And he realized I've been wasting my money on these unvaluable things. So where are you? The question is, where are you? You have to do this analyzation where you are in this cycle of the prodigal son. Are you just entering matter? Are you chasing wealth for, for, for the illusionary entrapment that it brings us sometimes? Uh, or, or have you realized, oh, really, I've made some mistakes. I want to go back to God. I want to go back to God. And of course, as soon as he thinks that, he starts off, the prodigal son starts off to see God. And God sees him coming from a long way off and runs and kisses him and, on the neck and embraces him. Well, that just means God's expecting us. He knows we're coming. It's just that we've been entangled in our pursuit of matter. We've, we've run out of our house. We've lost our way. We forgot who we are. We don't even know how to get home. That's what the spiritual process is about. So wake us up to what really is happening, not what we think, imagine is happening or we want to happen, but what's really happening in our lives. And so we have to make that analysis. Now, having said all that, each individual incarnation has a certain number of slated life lessons for us. And those will be a little different for everybody. Everybody has to go through this whole, all these life lessons and get all these things. And they can be compared to the stations of the cross of Christ. But you have to decide and find out where you are now. And that's done by simply introspection and observing. Then you can know, gee, well, I've come here to raise, you know, I've come here and I'm, I'm not supposed to just make myself a slave to matter, keep borrowing more and more money and buy more and more things, We're, that's a slave. That's a, a, a debt slave, really. And the world is full of us. <laughs> We're all debt slaves to some degree. So we have to decide what is our lesson in this cycle of coming out and going back to God. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, here's Stephen. When a human pregnancy is aborted, either naturally or via the elected medical process, is the incarnation completely canceled or rescheduled for later, so to speak? Or does it only the gross material body of the fetus that never fully is formed? And so the baby grows up and lives only in the higher worlds of the fourth and fifth dimension, expressing the self in his psychical and then noetical bodies until the next incarnation. He asked more, but I'm going to stop with that one and answer that first. The decision for incarnation is done by the inner self along with the lords of karma, the archangels, who help prepare a body for that incarnation based on what the lessons to be learned are. 
and what the lessons maybe haven't been learned in the previous lifetime. So if a child gets aborted, it, it, and you, you can't say it's all one way. It's, it depends on the particulars of everybody's circumstances who are involved in this story. But for example, when someone comes and the parents say, oh, I'm not ready, I can't take care of a kid, and so they abort. What happens to the kid? Well, he stays on the psychical world, but he doesn't go away. He's been allowed and scheduled to incarnate with these parents. So he hangs around, and maybe some years later, there's an opportunity, and he comes in again. There's some that can, I've heard, I haven't test, tested this myself, but like six times, they will, the abortion will happen six times or five times, and that child will still eventually manage to incarnate with those parents. Now, if the parents completely, they abort every time, well, obviously that child isn't gonna get in there. But it doesn't mean his, his uh, right to incarnate, his obligation to incarnate has been removed. So what happens is he, they try to, they, the Lords of Karma try to find another set of parents that have similar uh, lessons to be learned and lessons to give with the child. And the Daskos describes this like this. He says, it's like you take a big colander, you know, a colander is a big metal bowl with holes in it. But he says they're holes of different size. And then you put different marbles in it of different size and you shake it and it goes, you shake and shake until one of those marbles finds its size hole and it goes out. So that's just a symbolic way of just telling you that the, 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 the incarnating person representing the ball and the parents representing the hole, they have to, they have to have a match. They have to be appropriate for each other so that each of them can get the lessons and give the lessons they need to in this incarnation. And again, all that's been decided by the inner self of both the incarnating child and the parents way before the, either any of them were born. So the trouble is, is, is personalities, we disconnect from that inner self. So we don't remember it, of course, but, um, and sometimes the free will is so strong. It's such a, such a respected thing in human beings that they can override the divine plan temporarily, not forever, but for a moment. Yes. Uh, but it doesn't mean uh, abortion. We can do hmm. abortion freely at our will. It doesn't mean so. Uh, certain circumstances doesn't allow us uh, to give the birth of a child. Sometimes it happens. But uh, when we do so, each time we create our own karma, which we will need to reap ahead. So please remember, the child, the, the spirit soul of a child is waiting the opportunity, but it doesn't mean we can do whatever we wish. Uh, divine law always work on us perfectly. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. That's an important point. Stephen also asks, did Daskalos say whether or not ETs, extraterrestrial intelligence, that came into contact, that he came into contact with, all had the symbol of life or something in similar installed on their etheric doubles. You said that the teachings of what we are calling now the symbol of life was given to the Egyptians by the Atlanteans. How did the Atlanteans get the teaching? 
Was it given to them by another civilization or perhaps directly from higher beings? Extraterrestrials are human beings. They're not some other species. They're just human beings who've evolved millions, sometimes even maybe a billion years more than we have on Earth. So can you imagine what humans on Earth are going to look like in a million years? Can you imagine what properties they will be expressing, what abilities? It's beyond our imagination, really. And yet every human being, every archangelic being has the symbol of life as part of the archetypal idea of the human being. Now, we've also said, well, the five-pointed star is a symbol of a human being, and it's true. That's the form of a human being, but the symbol of life is the structure of the human being. So there's a two different things. It's like you're looking at my body, you see the form, but inside there's a, there's a, a skeleton. It's a structure of this body. It's something like that, but only at a much higher level, a level of eternal archetypal ideas. So, but I'll take it even further. It's not just human beings and extraterrestrial beings and archangelic beings. It's everything has this as like a matrix of creation. It's like the matrix of creation and it applies to everything. And the last part, go ahead. Uh, yes, as Daniel said, uh, even this atom, as a symbol of life. Our body is a symbol of life. The universe is uh, as a symbol of life. The symbol of life is life, the structure of life. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, Stephen finishes with um, about the Egyptians receiving the symbol of life teaching and practice from the Atlanteans. And he wants to know where the Atlanteans got it. Well, it isn't well known, but it is stated that they, the Atlanteans I'm talking about, were able to raise their consciousness up high enough to see this, to experience this level of the symbol of life. And so then they come back and they start writing teachings and making drawings but they actually raise their consciousness high enough to touch on this and because it's there. Anybody can go. Anybody can raise their consciousness high enough. We'll go and see this. So it's just that they had were one of the first to do that. And of course they got some powers with that. And at the time they misused them just like the prophets in the old Testament misused the prop, the powers and Moses misused the powers of the symbol of life that he took out of Egypt. So it's through the symbol of life that he did all those uh, plagues and everything that you read about in the Bible. So that's not the right use of it, obviously. And, and what we see is that the original one in Egypt, which is as far back as we can get record of, had 12 centers in it. The um, Moses took it out and he changed, and the centers had names of Egyptian gods and goddesses. But Moses changed that and he took and he put names of Greek gods and goddesses in and the names of demons in these centers. And through his practice of it, was able to control the demons. Now, sounds pretty far out, but if you read in the Bible about King Solomon, he used the, sin, the symbol on the center of the symbol of life as a ring, Solomon's ring. 
And he used it, it says, to control demons to build the temple of Jerusalem. And then he captured them and put them in pots of water and kept them in the temples of Jerusalem. So, I mean, it's clearly stated that they are mis they are using this. And obviously to a white brother or sister, this is a misuse of it because it would harm people. And he did it for selfish purposes to free the Jews. Okay. But you don't kill the Egyptians to free the Jews. That's not the way it should happen. But it did happen that way because it was important for people to see this thing really dramatically. We don't have to worry about that kind of thing now because they had different lessons in the old days. So it belongs to everything. And, um, we just need to go slow with it, go really slow, because it's a big teaching and it's a, a tremendous practice. It's not just something you knock out in a year or two. You know, you have to really, really penetrate deeply into it and slowly because it's it's very, very deep. Mm -hmm. And we should approach it with love and respect, not just to get powers or to have something mm -hmm. to know something others don't know. Mm -hmm. It's about making us a better person, a more loving person, a wiser person, a yes. stronger person. Yes. Mm -hmm. So symbol of life is everywhere in the universes. So it's not like uh, someone gave someone or some entity gave someone. It's not like that. Once we raise our consciousness, self-consciousness so we can get access to the one to the symbol of life which is everywhere in the universe mm. and uh, not only practicing on the symbol of life as the exercises the way of our living in our daily life once we live with love uh, to people and sincerely uh, make our living uh, love and uh, kindness and goodness according to the universal law, divine law, then automatically our symbol of life will be constructed to the completion. So we can practice the symbol of life through our daily life also. <laughs> Chris is asking, I read, we are holy monads, but I also read that through the same holy monad, thousands of rays come through it to incarnate here, and each person has an archangel. And the archangels recognize each other, but certainly our personality self from today is not aware of that. Now I'm wondering, are we the holy monad or are we going through the holy monad like a door? We are holy monad and they are groups of holy monads and they're depicted on the symbol of life in center number two as a round circle with a red circumference and a bunch of red dots with black dot in the center of it. Each of those is a holy monad, and in it, it contains thousands of others. And so we consider the holy monad as the source of our selfhood. It is our self, but it's where, where we begin. 
And what happens is just a tiny ray of that monad is projected out from the holy monad as a spirit of a spirit, eternal spirit being. So it's a ray of an eternal spirit being. That's the, us as a holy monad. It goes out and passes through the archangelic idea and becomes an archangel. And some stop there and just serve as an arch archangelic orders. But human beings, no, we're brave. We went, well, no, we're going all the way out. We're going to go through the idea of man. Now we enter phenomically the world of separation, illusions, sorrows, and suffering. So this is one reason we should love and respect every human being, because this is not an easy process. And anyone who has come to do this should be respected. After going through the idea of man, the soul is formed. And then, of course, the permanent personality enters the worlds of existence. Now, the pure soul stays in the worlds of beingness, in the worlds of unity, the eternal realm of non-duality. But the part of it that enters into existence, the worlds of existence, is called the permanent personality. And it, with its permanent atom, become like the record keeper from all the present-day personalities that get projected out from this. So one incarnation is going back, and then a new incarnation is coming out. But when we go back, our experiences are distilled properly in this permanent atom as lessons learned and lessons to be learned. The next point she's at, sorry, I have something on that one. It's okay. Please. Then she says, what isn't clear is when we built an elemental, our higher self produces always a perfect version of the elemental. For example, I produce an elemental about selfish love. Then my higher self produces one about divine perfect love, like this, like I understood, to guide me, because my subconscious mind, later my conscious mind, receives that. Um, yeah, it's, it's like our inner self, this permanent personality self, is, it's, it's right here. It's not someplace up here. It's in us as well as around us. So it's all we, it's totally aware of what we are doing as a personality. Well, all our mistakes, all our good actions, everything is known by it. So it's watching all the time. Now we're doing two things are happening right there. We are writing the book of our lives. Oh, this person insulted me. I don't like this person. We're writing it incorrectly. And the inner self is writing it incorrectly, the book. So it's it's in that sense, it's creating the proper elemental. So it's it's recording, oh yes, this person spoke harshly to you, but they had just, uh, somebody had just died in their life and they were feeling really bad. And so they write it correctly. We write it from our own vantage point of, oh, I like that or I don't like that kind of thing. And self-realization is nothing more than when both the recordings match. When you as a personality record it in the same perfect way as your inner self, you're self-realized. Or you could say once you reach self-realization, your record recording is, matches that of the, the inner self. Yeah. Her last question here is about the caduceus of Hermes, those two snakes that spin around the column that we see in the medical symbol. Is one the logoic part like the etheric current and the other one is the Holy Spirit part like the magnetic? Some say feminine and masculine energy and say logoic is masculine and magnetic is feminine. Is the symbol of illumination and connecting the two currents where they talked about 
Hercules' cradle. She's talking about the myth of Hercules. They, when he's born, they find two snakes under his cradle and he kills them. Where does the symbol come from? Yeah. Well, all etheric vitality has both the electric and magnetic, for sure. They have that in five other qualities, some of which you know, the uh, aesthetic, kinetic, imprinting, creative, and there's one about the extension of consciousness, which is about ethereal. Um, so, but some of them uh, express more of, say, positive or negative, masculine or feminine. So, yes, the logoic current represents the logos, and logos is the divine masculinity. The, the, the other side, I should go over here, um, is the Holy Spirit side, and that's the divine feminine. So the part about killing the two snakes is, is something really esoteric, but uh, we have these two currents going around, the spine going up, and they come up, and then you have the central current, which we all know is the kundalini, and it blossoms as a flower. And what she's talking about, Hercules killing the two snakes, is the same as in the story of Moses, where he goes to the to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And to show his power, the Pharaoh has his magicians throw down their staffs, they turn into two snakes. Well, Moses throws down his staff and it turns into a bigger snake and he eats the two snakes. This is the same thing as the Hercules killing the, the two snakes in there, because ultimately those two snakes are absorbed by the central column of the Kundalini. Where did the symbol for come from? Uh, well, in this case, it's, it's so ancient, I don't know if we can pinpoint the beginning, but certainly the Atlanteans and the Egyptians had it. But it, yes. but it, um, it sort of depends what that snake means to you. It depends on where you live in the world. You know, so in the West, oh, we think, we think snakes are... Um, are evil, so we they're they're negative. They're part of the devil. They're the bad thing that tricked man to begin with. But in Hinduism, the snake, especially the Kundalini snake, is a super positive one. So you could have a dream about a snake and being a Western person, that might be a negative meaning to you. Or if you were a Hindu, that might be a positive meaning to you. So we're starting to we ascribe the qualities to these things. So how they use it, I just think from the beginning. I know the the ancient Greeks did the medical symbol of the two snakes up the thing but certainly it was done before that as well it's a principle it's yes it's a principle and the divine law and it's in already in here okay thomas is asking daniel mentioned in an interview a while back that he was searching for a native american named joseph i i don't know his name I'm curious if you've ever found him. I'm also curious what role the Native Americans have in the future of American continent and what, in what way do prophets fulfill the divine plan? Actually, the best prophet is a false prophet in a way because they've warned you about something and then people have changed and then the thing doesn't happen. So sometimes that's the case. A lot of times it's just they're wrong, of course, but, um, what he's referring to is one time in a lesson in 1991, I was in Cyprus and Daskalos said, was talking about the masters, the ascended masters in this lineage and where they've come from and what they do and some things like that and how 
there's always seven born on earth at one single time and four uh, go out to the public and three stay in seclusion. And he was talking about that. And he said, and one is in the United States. He's a young and Native American boy and he's being protected and it's his time to come out is not there. So based on that, we've been making some inquiries around to see if we can find this guy. And we haven't found any anyone yet. So that's what he's talking about. But yeah, the Native Americans, certainly, especially the Hopi, I mean, they've really had this Hopi prophecy about what's going to happen to America. And <clears throat> they've had several stages along the way. The white buffalo was one, different, different ones. And each time one of these uh, milestones in the prophecy has been reached, the Native Americans go to Washington and try to talk to the leaders. Well, this, the last one was the last one, and they haven't changed their ways about things. So it's believed that the prophecy will come, still come, which is a lot of destruction, but followed by uh, a sacred hoop where all the people come together as one tribe, basically. So, yeah, they are, they are the wisdom keepers for us. And the white man came to America and, and killed and destroyed something, a rich treasure that they, if they could have understood, they would have been benefited by. So, yeah. Okay. okay. If a researcher consciously leaves their gross material body in the first exmatosis, do they find themselves in the exact room on the material plane as the material body that they just left? Or since they are now in their psychical body, do they automatically find themselves on a psychical plane in something like a psychical counterpart of the gross material world in which they left their material body? And in either case, how does someone raise or lower their vibrations in order to travel higher or lower in the psychical plane's dimensions? Well, it could be that and more. One, one thing it, it happens, you can come out be in the etheric counterpart of the material room where your body's sleeping, and you can look at it. That's one. Another one is, yeah, you could go to the psychical counterpart of the material house that you left your body in. Or, and this is probably way more common, you go someplace else. You're drawn someplace else. Now, in the beginning, the masters help us when we don't have the ability to do this ourselves. Mm -hmm. They help us, and they take us places and show us things. And we think, oh, I had this great out-of-body experience, and you did but it was through their help. Later, as you get more and more skilled, you'll get more and more control and can come out and you can go where you want. But it's advised that when you do start to be able to do it on your own, don't leave your house. Stay around your house because uh, the vibrations are really strong out there in the world. And when you go out at first, you don't feel strong. You feel like, like you're sick and weak almost. It's, you, you don't feel like you belong in this world. Uh, so just that's close advice, which is, you know, practice walking around your house, go in your kitchen, look at the things on the counter. And when you come back and come back into your body, recall all that. So there's training required to be able to do this consciously. But uh, the, 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 the difference, uh, you know, changing the, the, the position of the place, then we, they will know that it's in the counterpart. Yeah, she's, she's saying that, you know, you can notice things <laughs> like if what you're seeing is really matches the reality of the physical environment. And also one of the things Daskalos used to train the students on is he would take them out of their body and they'd be in a room and there'd be a chair in the room. He said, move the chair. 
Sometimes their hand would go right through it. Sometimes they could move the chair. Why did he do this? Because he was trying to train you to realize where you were. If you could move the chair, that means you were in the etheric counterpart of the material world and you were moving the chair with your etheric hand. If you were in the psychical world, you couldn't move the material chair, but you could move the psychical counterpart of the chair. So whatever happened would tell you where you were and why it was working this way based on the teachings. And the barometer, uh, if you are in the aesthetic counterpart of the material world or the aesthetic counterpart of the psychical world, is uh, the the things, you know, after uh, coming back to the material body, just check the object which you had seen in that experience was sitting in the same place or not. That's one of the barometer where you were, which aesthetic counterpart you are. And uh, he asked the, how to change the vibration. Oh, the change the vibration. And you sit down and you get quiet and you quiet your thoughts and you quiet your emotions and you sent the intent of your meditation. It's the same thing. It, your practice in meditation is teaching you to lower your vibrations or lift them up. When we want to contact the nature kingdom, we lower our vibrations really low. But when we want to contact the Archangelic kingdom, we have to raise our vibrations. So all this is training. All these exercises on visualizing the, the archangels in the pyramid and all that stuff is training us to learn how to create certain visualizations which have a vibration. And those vibrations lift you up or take you down. Yes. To change the vibration, in the advanced exercise, we use the, the pattern of the breathing and the creating the tones, visualizing colors. This is what all we are practicing step by step. And Andrew has a question here that haunts him about the work. If the dark side has slaughtered and fought against anyone who's trying to bring light to the world, why should we always turn the other cheek? I understand the reason for cleansing of anger elementals, but it's isn't this not a war of light against darkness? I feel that I must engage the or avenge the weak and bring I'm oh, sorry. I feel I must avenge the weak and blind from climbs. I don't know what that means. Of the selfish and brutal. Somebody has to stand up to the darkness. Why not the researchers of truth? Because to oppose anything is to feed power into it. So when we fight against somebody that we don't like and they're not doing the right thing, we are strengthening the very thing we don't like. When you go out and, and have a protest for priests and you're anger and yelling and red on the sides, you're energizing the vibrations of war. This is why Christ said, Resist not evil. And in truth, the light does not fight the darkness. The darkness fights the light, for sure. But the light tries to redeem the darkness. And the light tries to help other light, other good things. It helps the good and tries to redeem what we call the bad. Because what we call the bad is simply ignorance. I like the Hindu system in this way because they don't have God and the devil. They have truth and ignorance. 
which is what it is. And this is why Christ said on the cross, nailed to the cross, and he looked down on his torturers and said, God, forgive them. I, they don't know what they do. They're in ignorance. They're blinded by their ignorance. They're blinded by selfish intent and whatever, lower vibrations of the personality. So it doesn't hurt to fight against them. I mean, it doesn't help to fight against them. It just, it, usually, what do you do when you fight against them? That person comes back at you stronger. And this is what happens in the, in, when you start hating other people or having trouble with other people. You think about the, oh, I don't like them. It hits them. Well, that sets a vibration off in their thing. And they, they feel that exact same feeling that you just sent. So they feel like sending it back to you. And then you feel it and you send it back. Each time it goes back and forth, it grows and grows and grows. And pretty soon, this destructive ping pong match one person will get crushed by it if it goes on long enough. So we don't want to fight against people. Redeem it. How do we redeem it? Well, we redeem it by shining the light of truth. We don't have to shine the light of truth in, in somebody's eyes. You know, oh, you've got to look at this truth right now. That's we're completely wrong. You've got to change now. You've got this bad habit. I see this habit. You've got to change. That's shining the light of truth in them. That's fighting them. Instead, show them a better way. Show them what happens if you go this way. And that's the whole way the invisible helpers, once the person gets self-realized, that's the whole way they help people on the psychical plane, especially. They can only show them by comparison because people can't learn without a comparison. You have to have, some, oh, oh, this isn't as good as that. I, I want this. So you have to show them better ways, not fight against them. Now, this is, I think, for me and for, I think, a lot of people, this is a really tough time on Earth for that because of all the stuff that's going down. Mm -hmm. There's a definitely a, uh, a war on truth, but the truth does not create a war back against the falsehood. Mm -hmm. It can only reveal. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. Okay, we have some up here in the <laughs> chat thing. Uh, okay. Um, I hope I can do it well. Uh, in the Christ book, I can't remember which page it says, but this is a light, this is a darkness. And back to this question, we are living in this the world of duality. It's always like you know when we create some force in here, the other one react like this way we are living in the world of duality like a seesaw game but christ said find the middle point which is the point of harmony this is the the balance we are living all the time in the duality like this balancing good or evil man or woman plus and minus, uh, electric energy and uh, magnetic energy, like this way. This is the world of duality, but the true light, harmony, is in the middle. Then once we find this middle point, it's stillness, calmness. Then we can go beyond this duality. This is what we call the true light, the divine 
true divine light. This light contains everything. So we don't need to react from the force on the, the other side of the duality. And we can graduate this stage and look all the things from this viewpoint, from absolute calmness. Good. Uh, speaking of war, we have the next question. It says, Das Close was, was alive during World War II. Do you know if he was ever tempted to interfere or attempt to stop Hitler using psychonoetical abilities? Uh, no. Because, why? Because this was a slated lesson for all of humanity. If someone would have killed Hitler, somebody else would have just come up and his place later and we would be go back through the same thing. We had to learn this lessons and that these kind of dictators and this kind of thinking and behaving isn't acceptable for the rest of the population of earth. So I do know though, in World War II, his, one of his closest friends got killed. And because of his level of, that he was, his level of goodness, he had the ability to pull that guy back in to the same incarnation and have him incarnate on Cyprus near him so that he could find him again. And he did. And he started training the guy from a very young age again. He had already been a researcher in Dasclosis circles as a man, but he got killed in World War II. So the next question is, what are the limitations of maskers used to their abilities to stop others from doing great harm to others in the world? Well, it's a tricky two-edged sword thing, just like everything else in the world's a duality. The first thing you can't do is you can't interfere with, with somebody's free will. You're, you're not allowed to do that. Archangels don't do it. Human beings do it all the time. But if you once you become self-realized and approach self-realization, you stop doing that because that just it's bad for the person and it's bad for you. So you have to understand that the people have to have their experiences. They have to work things out. We can't override it. And one story that was very, I think, really depicts this is Dasklos knew this guy who had uh, committed suicide because some girl left him. She said something to him and left him and he couldn't accept it. He just was tortured by the fact that she did this. And he kept saying, she owes me an apology. She should come here and apologize. Well, she didn't. And the guy killed himself. Daskos finds this guy in this condition and he's trying to help him, but the guy's not amiable to, you know, these thought projections from Daskos. He's not picking up. Them. So he's sitting there thinking and he thinks, well, the guy just wants an apology from this girl who's now dead. She's not even living. So I will create an elemental of the girl and come to apologize so he can be free of his health. And he started to do it and Archangel said, stop. No, that's interfering with free will. He has to process on this on his own. You can't trick him into thinking the girl apologized. He has to process this on his own. And of course the guy probably is still there, but uh, there's great limitations. Yet there are some things like this World War II thing. I don't understand how that worked. I don't know what the karmas were, but um, he was allowed by God, by the law, to bring that guy back in to keep training him. So uh, 
and again, some of these great harm things that some of the uh, servants of darkness are doing to this world and to other people right now are again, slated lessons. We have to experience the fact that some people are misusing the mind and creating demonic things, creating so much suffering in the world. You just have to look around today and it's just rampant everywhere. So we just have to evolve. We have to raise our consciousness high enough mm -hmm. to realize that there's no place for that in the world that most people want on earth. Okay, here's one more. Um, we have three minutes. Okay. She's asking about the void. Kathy's asking about the void. Darkness, it is. But what is silence? Silence is not the darkness, and therefore the void also. Well, there really isn't a void. <laughs> It's to like to say, is there a shadow? Well, it's phenomenally we see a shadow, but a shadow just is created because there's light here. Something comes in the way and blocks it, and that casts a shadow on a third thing, like Earth or whatever. So if you take that thing away that's blocking it, where does the shadow go? Nowhere. It, it's, it's a phenomenon. It's non-existent, really. I was in Egypt one time when they were opening. Uh, they just had found the tomb of... Uh, Ramses in, in the Valley of the Kings. And I was there and they were, and I thought about, I was thinking about it and they opened it and all of a sudden it's light inside, but you never saw a shadow run out someplace else. It just stopped its phenomenal existence. So the void have been popularized by the Buddhists, certain Buddhists, not all Buddhists. Some Buddhists believe in nirvana, which is nothingness, right? That's the ultimate void. Dasko says what they've done is every time you go up to another level, there's this sort of like um, silence or void, seemingly void. It's, it's what you're doing is you're, you're going through the etheric to reach like the psychical level. So there's this kind of, I can't call it a void, but there's this quietness about that transition point before you re-compose uh, uh, yourself in the psychical plane. So it's a phenomenal existence. So the Buddhist, Daslo says, they've gone all the way up, right to the threshold between the worlds of existence and beingness. And they look in, and they can't understand that. They can't understand the world of Venus where everything's one. It's eternal. There is no duality. They can't understand it. So the human mind perceives it as a void. Just like our material eyes perceive darkness, but really it's full of vibrations. It's just our eyes don't register it. So too the human brain doesn't isn't really able to register non-duality. You know, you, we live in duality. How can we understand non-duality? So you have to experience it. So they go to this level and they can't, understand it with their head and they say, well, there's nothing else there. It's just a void. That's the end of everything. There is no self. There's nothing. It's just a void. Mm -hmm. That's not, of course, the truth, but it's, it is a level of experience on the way to the truth. So instead of being nothingness, the actually beingness is everythingness. Yeah. 
So, and, and when you go into the silence, it's not that silent. There's all kinds of beautiful high melodies and vibrations in the silence. The silence, when we say going in the silence, all we mean is stop thinking, stop engaging your thoughts and your emotions. So a lot of people say, well, I went into silence and I never talked to anybody for a whole week. Okay, but did, could you stop your thoughts and, emo and emotions? No. So it's not really the silence. When the mystics talk about entering the silence, they mean they have shut the door between their subconsciousness and there's no thoughts bubbling up, no feelings bubbling up, no desires bubbling up. That's really the silence. The silence, what we call now, is the silence in our daily life in this level. But once we keep the complete silence, then another ah, the vision or sound that we will start to hear. And once we raise our vibration more and more and more, then we will go beyond the world of duality, which we can't perceive uh, in the current self-consciousness and the current level of self-consciousness and self-awareness. But it's everything. As Daniel said, it's everything. All the divine laws and everything is in there in what we call void or nothingness, but it's not the nothingness at all. And likewise, what we call, what is manifested, light or shadow, good or evil, whatever. When we go up higher and higher and be, go beyond the level of duality, everything is contained in it. So what we call shadow or evil is also in the true divine light. Okay, our last question is from our friend Hugo in South Africa. He's asking, is there any crystal suggested to help us deal with electromagnetic waves? No. I mean, there's lots of people giving suggestions, but that's not where the power is. That's not where the power of the human being is. The power in the human being is the etheric double. So the crystal, the thing we would suggest is get in touch with your etheric double, strengthen it through the breathing processes, empower it through the visualizations, feel it, get to know it, make it, make it yours, make it something of yours, because that's what's really protecting us, not only from electromagnetic waves, but from viruses, from germs. Our body has an immune system. And some people say, oh, I have a weak immune system. Other people have a strong immune system. What's that mean? It means their etheric double is, is charged up if they have a strong immune system. So their immune system is empowered by the, the, the cleanliness and the quantity of etheric vitality in your etheric double. So this is what we suggest because that is the strongest thing. Not only the strongest thing from physical germs and viruses or electromagnetic waves, but from negative thoughts for others have about us. We're constantly in a sea of elementals. We're constantly, and people, some people maybe don't like us or are jealous of us, and they think negative thoughts, and those come. And if your field is weak, they can affect you. But if your field is strong and you've charged it and you own it, I mean, you're using it like you're using your body, then it can affect you unless you vibrate to that level that they're sending. But by strengthening your etheric double, you raise its vibrations higher level. So it's like it 
misses you as well as bouncing off in some cases. Uh, I provided uh, aesthetic uh, breathing as the live meditation last time. And the next month, we are going to study uh, breathing exercises step by step for a whole month. So let's start to practice how to receive, get an aesthetic vitality, which is everywhere around us. Amen. Well, we've run out of time today, but I just want to say that um, in a few days, we're going to post a Christmas special Christmas lesson and a Christmas meditation.